is the Aquasensory Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Wilson. In this show, you will learn all about sensory harmony in water for babies and the early years. Because when we grow to love, connect and respect water, learning follows naturally. Oh, I love your work, Kate. The way that we communicate really, really matters. And that is what we're going to be chatting to today because Kate is a speech and language therapist and you have so much wealth of knowledge to share. And I particularly like the way that you share your top tips and how we can talk to babies and young children as Um, educators and parents and of course in the water we're lucky as swim teachers because we're at that eye level so we're able to really communicate in a different way but because there are so many advantages there are things that we need to consider like the noise level and perhaps sometimes we talk quite fast and not always the uh, child's developmental stage so that is what we are talking about today how we communicate how we can really learn and share um, through your expertise. Welcome, Kate. Do introduce your background. It's amazing. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, I'm Kate. I am a speech and language therapist and I have been working independently for three years now at We Can Communicate Speech and Language Therapy. Um, But I've been qualified as a speech and language therapist for 14 years and was a very proud NHS worker for Guys and St Thomas's before I left London and took my family back south and set up working for myself. Oh, no, that's great. Um, I was going to say as well that I have at the moment this real interest in supporting parents. I'm so thrilled to be here because it's since becoming a mum myself, I am so aware of how busy day-to-day life is, how many activities and things we are supposed to be doing with our children all the time. So I've got a real focus at the moment in trying to make that a bit easier and trying to kind of decode all of that information that is out there and make it something that as a parent you could actually do that's my real mission is to make it something that you could do oh that's great no I love the accessibility um because you're so right we are you know so busy as parents and there's so much information out there so the simpler that we can make it and the more accessible um because aquasensory that child development program in water and the way we communicate not just with words um it really really matters so let's have a little dive in because we were sort of I was saying earlier that in the pool communication can be a little bit hindered we are having that benefit of being really face to face and lots of eye contact but it is a noisy environment. So how can we enhance communication in our water classes? Well, I think you're absolutely right. That face-to-face ability is fantastic because being face-to-face is such an important part of communicating. And it's so easy with our really little ones to forget how much higher up than them we are most of the time um so I love that swimming is giving that opportunity to be face to face one of the ways I would typically say this is a great way to support language communication is to use gestures but of course when you're in the pool your hands are often quite full of your baby trying to stop them from um from going under or floating away from you so I do appreciate that that can be really tricky But I think one of the things that you can do is just try to really slow down 
how quickly you're talking to your child. It can be very easy as adults, as proficient communicators, to get quite excited. The, being in the pool together is an exciting time and your baby or child is likely to be showing you lots of new skills and having a go at something that last week maybe they really didn't want to try. And so lots of little milestones being achieved along the way. And it can be very easy in those times to get excited and often with that excitement comes really fast language and actually for a young child or a baby that can be quite challenging to process and mean that there is just a lot of noise a lot of echoing noise going on around you and make it a bit trickier so I think that would be one of the things that I would really suggest is just trying to slow down that rate of speech to make it a bit more accessible to your child. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think us as swim teachers, we could perhaps take over a little bit and model, model gestures because we don't always have our, we have our hands uh, free so we can do maybe a little bit of easy signing. But when you talk about gestures as well, I was thinking about all the expressions and the gestures of face Mm -hmm. because you're so right. Being excited, we could show our excitement through our our gestures and um, our our nonverbal body language as well. Mm -hmm. But absolutely yeah rate of how we talk is definitely yeah how how we can really really slow it down for our yeah. for our babies and young children um are there any um sort of sciencey facts now i've always said that if we cuz although we don't want to put any sort of like exact sort of uh, seconds on it but i've always said that if we can slow it down even almost like 10 times an adult's speech and language then that will help with the processing. And then as they get older, obviously we don't have to have that 10 seconds. We could have five seconds or, and then adults almost like process by three seconds. How how does speech and language actually process within, you know, the the centers of the brain? Um, Are there any um, snippets of info that in science that you can share with us? (laughs) So I, I'm not aware of there being a kind of this is the time frame that you need to leave them to or, or give a pause for. Yeah. I regularly recommend to my families, to my parents and carers, that they think about counting to 10 in their head. Yeah. On the assumption that you almost never will, that you will yes. almost always almost uh want to speed that up a bit. Because as adults, as proficient communicators, that silence feels really really uncomfortable so we tend to not want to have it we tend to want to fill in the silence so I think if in your head you can count to 10 sometimes quite quickly I know that that means a lot of parents translate that to counting to eight or seven or six fine um but just trying to give that time for that language processing to happen so that the child is thinking, okay, well, well, what are the sounds that I've heard? What are the words that I've heard? What do they mean? What is mum or dad trying to communicate to me? And then how do I want to respond? And how do I organize my body, maybe my nonverbal or my verbal communication to do that and then get that out? That does take some time and, and different children will need different amounts of time. Um, but it, that processing time is a, is a real thing and really is needed. So that sort of trying to rush to fill in the gaps, we'll we'll never be quite sure of what your child might have just been about to do before you move them on to the next thing and and direct them to the next thing. So yes, that idea of giving that processing time is really important. And when you're slowing your rate of speech down to allow for 
little in, extra increments of time is really sort of adding to that as well and helping with that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, as, as you say, so just having that thought process and counting our in our minds, mm-hmm. as you say, just just really helps. I'm a massive advocate of parentees. Really, the way that we are communicating, particularly with our babies, uh, it's that like high pitched voice, isn't it? What we yeah. sometimes naturally do, but we don't always know the benefits behind of it, and also sometimes um, you know not everybody does it. So. Uh, as a speech and language therapist, is it important to have a different voice for our children? What are the benefits of parentees? Uh, yes, it really is important. It's so helpful. The The main thing to think about when you're using parentees is like saying to a baby, hey, 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 listen up. This bit of information, this bit of language, this is for you. This is directed to you. We know that when you're interested in something and able to attend to it, you're able to learn from it. So if we make our voices interesting, the words that we're using sound interesting, the language that we're using interesting to a baby, they're more likely to attend to it and attune to what we're saying. Therefore, they're more likely to learn from it and therefore more likely to develop their language skills. So in a nutshell, yes, parentees is really fantastic. And I love that you're calling it parentees because historically it's been called motheries. Uh, and I think we've just moved away from that assumption that mothers do all the parenting quite rightly. Um, but I like to mention that to people so that if they come stumble across that old fashioned term of motheries, we do mean one and the same thing. We've just become a bit more um, uh, a bit more aware of the fact that it's not just mothers who are providing language and input to their children and, and being the only caregivers. That's really nice. And it is, it's just that high pitched, just as you say, really different way of, of talking to to babies. And I think it's, yeah. I always almost think it's quite rhythmical as well. Babies exactly, yeah. really it, pick it's up that rhythm. Singing. Yeah, it's quite, it's, it's a very sing-songy voice, mm. high pitched, you're absolutely right. Um, usually quite repetitive. Um, we often will say the same words again and again. Um, and I used to demonstrate this to parents when we were in small groups. And I'd just start talking in parentese and all the babies in the group would just turn and look at me and they'd completely ignore me when I was talking to parents in, in this, what I would consider my kind of my adult voice. Um, and then as soon as I went into that parentese high pitch, oh, look, oh, this is so wonderful. Oh, aren't you clever? All the babies would turn and look at me because it was like catnip to them. It was just like, yes, that's that's aimed at me. I want to know what she's look, what she's talking about, what she's looking at. Oh, that's nice. So my examples in the pool are things like hold on, hold on, or sometimes I say bottom on the raft. Uh, one, two, three. So it's really like rhythmical, um, and as as you say, very very repetitive, and that and that helps. That sounds fantastic. Lovely. Um, Is there any top tips? Well, I feel like sometimes when we are bringing in um, theories of speech and language, sometimes parents go, oh, not not more things, not more things I have to do as a parent. And, you know, when we are touching on um, themes of child development, it can almost feel like work. Oh, we have to now do this and we have to now do that. is there anything um, where it isn't work? We can actually really break it down into really small but meaningful things that parents can can do every day. 
Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I think that it's also really important to note that just because I'm here talking to you about all the ways that parents can support language and communication development, that in no way means that they are the reason that their child might be finding this tricky. Um, so for those parents who have children who are maybe experiencing some speech language communication differences or have some need or need some additional support, that is not a reflection on poor parenting. I realize people can't see me. I'm using those um, apostrophes. Yeah. Um, it's it's absolutely not caused by parents. But it's also, I think, really important for parents to know exactly what they can do to support their children. Um, and my my whole work at the moment, everything that I put out in the public domain is very much trying to reflect the fact that life is really busy. There are a huge number of things that we're now encouraged to do with our children and made to feel like we should be doing. And I'm very keen that any advice and information that I give can fit inside whatever parents are doing. So some really simple things are things like one of the top tips I give for language development is to offer choices. So rather than saying, what would you like for a snack, for example, holding up uh, an orange in one hand and a banana in the other and saying, would you like an orange or would you like a banana? Orange or banana? And the reason that that helps is because you're offering a visual support. So if you have the real object, I would really recommend that you show your child what, what those two options are. Showing a visual helps your child to understand the link between the word orange and the actual orange juicy fruit that you're offering. Um, but it also helps them to take part in that communication process because they maybe aren't yet able to say orange, but maybe can reach for the thing that they want, point to the piece of fruit that they want. Maybe even just looking at what they want is enough nonverbal communication. But that top tip, that that suggestion of using or of offering choices, perhaps you could do that every day at snack time. Something that you're already doing, you'll already be giving your child snacks and meals. So maybe you can just bring that into that time and it doesn't feel like it's an extra job, but it's something that you're already doing. And just making that simple tweak makes it something that is now also developing their communication and language skills and is not just about getting them fed, essentially, and, and feeding those very hungry tummies that never seem to be quite ever satisfied, or certainly mine are never quite satisfied. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so glad you said that because we we do that in the pool um, and we start at babies so we're talking about just choice so red ball or, or blue ball or if it's the noodles then it's amazing just offering a choice of color um really really helps at, at, and and then it empowers them um yeah. to 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 want to want to try really and Absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine in the in the pool, like you know, this is uh, this fish or uh, another another toy like a ring, and then that really really helps. Um, just bringing it down to to two choices because sometimes we give sometimes too much choice, don't we? Well, those open ended questions: What would you like for a snack, or what do you want to play with now in the pool? That's really difficult to answer if you're not yet speaking or if you don't have a really large vocabulary yet, which many many young children don't they they don't that just by nature of being a young child have these huge vocabularies or the ability to answer those quite complex open questions but being shown in front of you this one or that one and maybe repeating that that choice to them a couple of times is an accessible way for your child to learn how to communicate with you 
one of the other things that we love to do, and maybe you've got some different examples that we haven't thought about, is we go through um, very, very simple actions. So for babies and young children, it's like, these are your hands. Mm -hmm. Splash, splash. And then when they can understand, we add in a little bit more words. So maybe these are your hands. This is the way or splash or scoop. So each time we're just adding in just a little bit more. It might be, first of all, ball. And then if they're a little bit older, we might ask, we might add in a color. So we're really breaking it down to their developmental level, thinking about using less words to start and then adding in when we know yeah. that they, they, they understand that. Yeah. And, and that's a strategy um, that I often recall, um, often call repeat and add one more. Wow. So if you think that your child is at that not yet talking stage, using single words is really great. Using single words and gestures is sort of saying to your child, this is where you're communicating now and I'm listening to it. I'm absorbing your attempts at communication. I'm noticing that you're pointing or reaching and I'm adding in an extra word. Likewise, when your child is able to say ball and you start saying red ball, you're showing them, yes, this is a ball. That was a great attempt at saying a word to me. And here's the, the next stage. It's almost like learning how to climb some stairs rather than you standing right at the top of the stairs and giving lots and lots of language that is maybe really difficult for your child to process. You're just one step above. So you're repeating their level of communication and adding in just one new thing. Oh, no, that's great. And have you got any top tips of praise? So we, um, if it's just empty praise, like good girl, good boy, perhaps that doesn't actually, it's not very helpful. So if we praise the action, good kicking, good splashing, um, is there anything else that we can do to add, you know, and help the speech and language through through encouragement and praise? I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there and being really specific in your praise. So saying what it is that the child has done really well. And, and I, like I'm sure every parent listening to this podcast, I'm really guilty of sometimes using that good girl, good boy phrase, uh, often getting it mixed up depending on which one of my children I'm talking to. Um, but yes, trying to be specific. So trying to say good talking, good reaching, good pointing, great signing. Um, well done for trying to tell me, well done for letting me know. That was great listening. All of those kind of really specific uh, comments in your praise can be really, really empowering because it does help your child to learn exactly what it is that they've done that's so great. So like your example with great kicking, saying great kicking. I imagine, you know, when, when they're kicking in the pool, they're also lying back. If you say good boy, good girl, are you saying, well done for lying back, well done for get, letting your ears get in the water, well done for getting your bottom up, well done for kicking, you know, what what part of that is it that they've done so well? So being specific in your praise is really empowering. And it's really helpful to practice that now with a young child, because as they get older, they will really take that on board and recognize what it is that you're looking for in that, that behavior or that action that you are really pleased with. Mm. That's really, oh, that's, that's great. It's nice to know that what we're doing in the pool as swim teachers is really, really helping outside the pool as well. And, and you know, sharing, 
yeah, sharing with parents. Um, we're massive advocators of uh, early intervention and and supporting if parents do come up, come with us with worries with developmental delays and, and signposting really, and we can signpost, you know, like to parents to yourself as well. There are um, there are benefits uh, to um, early intervention. I, I'm just thinking a little bit. Sometimes maybe parents want to just wait and see, but there are some parents that are really, really eager to to uh, to gain more support. What's what's your thoughts of early intervention? I'm very I'm very pro early intervention. Really, I um, if I'm really honest, I'm not a huge fan of a wait and see approach because I would always rather do something and then find, oh, we didn't need to do that. We didn't need to think that hard about this child. I would much rather do that than find, oh, we maybe should have done something when the first warning signs were there. Um, so I, I I am a big fan of early intervention. We know that young brains are very, very, very malleable. They're very, they're designed to learn. Um, often people talk about young babies um, and young children as being their brains being like sponges. And I think that's such a good analogy because I think that's really accurate, actually. Mm. They are so good at learning. And when you think about the developmental process in even in just in communication, over three years, they go from reactive crying because they feel uncomfortable because their nappy's wet and they're not crying because they're trying to send a message. They're just crying because they don't like that feeling to learning within three years that they can put lots of words together into short phrases and sentences that development is huge I'd be delighted if I could learn another language to that level in three years time um so we know that these really malleable brains are best placed to receive that early intervention and the critical period actually for language learning is from eight months gestation to till they're two years old that is the critical period where the most development happens the most rapid development happens so I always would advise to kind of try and use the the natural development that that is happening at those at that time to your advantage and give as much support early on as you can. Um, sometimes the wait and see approach is really really valid and is a really good decision, but I think that quite often it is really reassuring if that um, that decision is coming with the support of a, a really qualified trained professional who can go. There are all of these other skills in place. And so therefore, I have a very strong sense that this child is developing their skills and we don't need to give extra support. Um, I, I Yeah, I, I would usually advise if you're going to take a wait and see approach to just have really have checked in with the relevant professional to before you do that. And generally, and, I'm a big fan of early intervention. And if you are um, seeing some sort of one and two year olds, what sort of skills, what are you actually working on and, and seeing in terms of, um, some little, um, if you let's call it like red flags. What sort of things would people come to you with? Uh, so I think the the first thing that parents start to notice is usually after the first birthday. So it's usually around fifteen to eighteen months, and they start to think, mm, "Not really hearing my child try to say any words yet." That can often be because it's a very observable behaviour. Um, so that can often be a bit of a red flag in that really limited attempts at words. And I, I want to say how important it is to recognize that words don't have to be accurate, pronounced, accurately pronounced words to count as words. So 
Quack for a duck is counts as a word or ma for mummy counts as a word. If it's used consistently every time, that still counts as a word. Um, but I think often parents um, in that kind of after the first birthday start to notice if there aren't really attempts at those words. Um, we might also notice at this stage uh, seemingly a difficulty understanding words. So around 12 months, we'd expect to be able to hold out our hand and say, give me the ball when the child's got maybe a ball and a cup, really familiar objects in front of us and that the child would be able to understand that single word instruction of something really familiar. Um, we might also notice that a young child uh, is not seeking out other people or seeking out their adults and caregivers. So between one and two, children don't really play with each other. They might they'll notice each other. They might play alongside. Uh, there'll be plenty of snatching and taking back a favorite yeah. toy, but not very much sort of cooperative play. And that's really expected at that age. But what I mean is, is looking out for uh, your child not doing very much, turning to show you something that they've just found. Um, we would expect between one and two years, a child to be bringing books, for example, to their caregivers to ask you to show them the book. They might be bringing toys to you that they find that they're tricky to work or that they need help with. Um, and if we're noticing that those skills aren't developing quite as much as well, we um, we might be thinking about, oh, should we should we get a little bit of extra help here and just just ask somebody, does this sound like things are developing as we'd expect or is this something that I could do? And if parents have um, any concerns, um, they can contact you. You've got some online um uh, courses that you know really really helps uh, enhance um, speech and language for for young children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I try and offer support in a, a variety of different ways. I have lots of free resources online available through my social media channels. So through um, I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm not on TikTok. I can't handle another one. It's just loads <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, so there's lots of free ideas and I share on there a lot of the ways that I build using the tools and the strategies some of which we've talked about today into my daily activities and routines with my children to try and give that really concrete uh, suggestions of this is what you do when you're doing x um, but then I also do have an online course which is available immediately and, and absolutely anybody can access that and that really is to try and give you a little bit more than an Instagram post can I I try to pack my Instagram full of information and advice but like I'm finding here with you doing a podcast there's no way I can put all of this information into an Instagram post and really explain it and the thing that I've worked so hard on on my online course is really designing the curriculum to help you not just understand what it is and how it helps but how are you going to take that idea and put it into your life tomorrow what are you doing tomorrow what have you got on are you going to swimming classes are you planning on meeting a friend in the playground do you just have loads of washing to do and you need to batch cook three meals because you've got a really busy weekend okay what is it that you're doing and then how are you going to use this strategy or this tool in those things that you're already doing so that it is doable it doesn't become a great idea that you never quite get around to implementing mm. um, and the more you practice these things the better you get at them and the more progress you'll see in your children 
Oh, that's great. No, I love that. I think it's it's great having courses that we can work with in our own time and our own way for our children and really, really, as you say, take take what we need because all our children are so unique and different, really. Now, now there's two things that we naturally do in the corner. I'd love to let our listeners know all of the benefits because the water, the swimming pool, isn't just a place to learn to swim. And I know I say that a lot, but I really, really want to shout that to the rooftop. So one is how we're providing really rich opportunities of language, exposing our children to, to words that maybe isn't used every day, and the repetitiveness of how we teach skills in the pool. Do you yeah. find... Um, yeah, I was just going to get your reflections on on those. Well, Joe, I mean, I just think it sounds like what you what you do in the pool just sounds fantastic. And like we said at the beginning of the recording, even the questions that you've asked me show you've got such a good understanding of how children develop language and communication skills and have tried so hard. And it sounds like so effectively to embed that into your your daily practice with with what you're showing children and parents to do in the pool and I think that what is so great about something like swimming lessons is is that we know that parents come back because they probably book on for a time so they come back week after week and they get to see you doing it and I really think when you can see you know you can understand an idea but when you can see somebody doing it that's when you can really think okay if I if nothing else I'm just going to copy what Joe does on my online course I have lots of demonstration videos so if nothing else if you can't think about how to put it into your actual life today because you just you've been up a million times in the night you've just not got the bandwidth today being able to just copy what you've seen somebody else do I think is so powerful and so useful and I think that what you're doing in the pool sounds wonderful and we would be there if we weren't at different ends of the country <laughs> oh that's Quite great to travel why do speech and language therapists use bubbles? Because bubbles in the pool <laughs> is something that we, it obviously it comes naturally. It's, it's, it's a swim skill. Um, but I often see um, it being used in, in as a therapeutic tool as well. Uh, because they're really good fun. Because I think in my 14 years of working, I've only come across maybe two or three children who aren't bothered by bubbles um and they you blow them they're really good fun then they go away and you have to do it again and then you have to do it again and then you have to do it again so you can build in some really nice communication into that really simple repetitive activity that everybody loves and if we're honest joe part of the reason is, is that they're really easy to transport around with us i can fit a bo- uh, tube of bubbles into my back pocket so i I have always got some bubbles on me. If I'm struggling to engage a child, if struggling to get things going, whip out some bubbles, they work. I would say 98% of the time. That's so nice to hear. So as swim teachers, we're naturally building speech and language skills and we didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Isn't it nice when you find that out? Oh, great. Well, I'm going to pop all your links below and let everybody know about your amazing work. And um, if they want to be signposted, then, um, you know, please do get in touch with Kate. Please do come and join us. I um, put loads of question stickers up and I'm always responding to my messages. So please don't hesitate to get in touch should you need me. Oh, thanks, Kate. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Aqua.
eco-sensory way. It's so nice to have you here tuning in today. Let's connect again soon. I'd love you to find out more about creating sensory harmony in water. Come and join us on our socials and in our community Facebook group, Aqua Sensory Connections.